Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is the Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio with Scott Soshnick and Michael Barr. Each week, we speak to some of the biggest names in the world of money and sports, and today is no different, Michael. Oh, Scott, we are pleased to welcome Steve Ballmer. He was the CEO of Microsoft from 2000 to 2014. After retiring from the company in February of 2014, three months later, he placed a record $2 billion offer to buy the L.A. Clippers. Steve, thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, I want to get you back on the golf course. I know you're ready to play some golf today. But I want to go back to when you were preparing this bid for the Clippers, because I'm going to tell you how I felt as sort of a reporter in the middle of it all for with all the bid groups. It reminded me of Barbarians at the Gate. Did you at all get a feeling like sort of this big bidding process, everybody wanted to know what everybody else was into? Did you get that feeling as well? Yes, I did. I, I don't know about Barbarians at the Gate, but, you know, wasn't quite sure. Nobody's quite sure who the other bidders are. Um Therefore, not quite sure. You can't be sure, quite sure what you should bid. Um, you know, it's a little bit of a complicated process. Uh, and you know, you also, you know, I had my own view of what the what the team uh, was worth to me. Uh, but of course, there's sort of two other inputs. Number one, what do the numbers say? And number two, what does the market what does the market look like? And that's a little hard to know. Because you're not absolutely sure what you know, what kind of price signal. It's not like going to a stock market and bidding on stock, and you know what other people are bidding. Um, so yeah, it, it had a little barbarians at the gate to it, I guess, in terms of the auction process. But there's also that bit of that part of the bid that comes from love of the the fact that you just wanted to do it, regardless of what the paper value says. What was your love markup on the franchise? How high were you willing to go? Well, I don't know. It's probably not an important question to answer. Uh, <laughs> I was willing to go. Probably, you would say about five to ten percent more than the next bidder. Well, that was uh, enough. Yeah, yeah. I think we're. I think I wound up. I don't know between five and ten percent, probably close to the ten above the number two bid. Now, for people and who there don't, there was a stalking horse to go higher than that. But you know, I think it was kind of in the game, if you will. Now, for people who don't know, the team came about because NBA Commissioner Adam Silver forced Donald Sterling at the time to sell the team. Yes, it was an uncomfortable situation when the opportunity comes up, but it was a rare opportunity. There are only a handful of these NBA teams out there, so when you got a chance, you have to take it. Yeah, no, that's that's really right. Uh, and if you take a look at it, I think over the last six or seven years, maybe, uh, four or five teams have traded, you know, have traded. Milwaukee traded, Atlanta traded, Clippers traded. Uh, probably Memphis is in that time period, uh, but other than that, it's hard. It's hard to find these things turning left and right, and two of those turned because of sort of tumult around ownership and uh, front office. If it was a stock, if the Clippers were a stock, Steve, and you were an analyst, what would your rating be on the team right now? Uh, on our actual basketball team? Yeah. Oh, uh, you know, it's a it's a buy. You know, we've what, the third best record, I think, over the last five years in the NBA. Uh, we've got a great core of guys. 
you know, it's a free agency, so I guess you would say it's a buy with some risks with Chris Paul and Blake Griffin and J.J. Redick, all free agents uh, this offseason. But, you know, we have a great organization, great coach, great general manager in Lawrence Frank, um, and and I feel good about, you know, the fact that we're going to resign our guys. Were you happy with the collective bargaining agreement? I know you're happy it got done. Were you happy with the specifics, particularly in terms of player salaries? Yeah, I, th- I mean, the specifics, I think, were, were fine. Uh, the Labor Committee of the board liked it. The players liked it. The league liked it. The owners voted for it. You know, I think it was a win-win all around. You mentioned Blake Griffin, uh, and your fingers are crossed to re-sign him. What do you think the odds are that you'll get him back for next season? Well, you know, you never know till you know. Uh, we're we're in the game. We're serious. You know, Blake's built his career uh, with the Clippers, and uh, so I think our probability is pretty good. Any chance to get Carmelo Anthony there? You just never could tell around this league about about anything uh, that's possible or not. You know, we're focused right now on resigning our own guys, though. That's our top priority. Now, you're one of the three teams that share the Staples Center. The Clippers, of course, the Lakers, and the Kings are all playing at the Staples Center. And I was thinking, was it time to think about uh, maybe building another arena for the Clippers, or is that even impractical? Well, I think, I think I've said publicly uh, that we're looking. It doesn't mean we're going to move. But we're absolutely looking to see what we can find for, for land and opportunity, see kind of how Staples is going to evolve. We need to hear hear about that, if you will, uh, from our current landlord. Uh, and, uh, you know, in the meantime, we're developing options. Who wouldn't develop an option? If uh, you know, I think if you go in to see a landlord without an option, no matter what happens, uh, you're not in good shape. And, frankly, I think if you build an arena just for basketball, you'd build an arena that looked different than Staples and, you know, might provide more energy and excitement uh, around the basketball experience. Well, one team that is definitely getting a new arena, the Golden State Warriors, we had Joe Lacob on the show. I want you to listen to what he had to say about competing in the business of pro sports. Look, do I think we're better? Yeah, I do. I think I'm really proud of our organization. And I think we're really well run. The numbers bear it out. The championship in five years bears it out and that. But I'm not, it's not like I was really trying to put everybody down. I didn't mean it that way. He said he took heat for that comment to the New York Times. How do you view another owner saying, yeah, we think we're better and we're light years ahead of everybody else? That, that in essence, is what he said. Well, look, <laughs> this is business. This is competition. Of course you want to be better. And, of course, you want to take the position whether you're, whether you're better or not. It isn't bad to tell the other guys you're better. Uh, part of the way you know you breed uh, a sense of excellence is you talk about a sense of excellence, and we've made progress, and clearly they've made progress uh, over the time that Joe and his, and his crew have owned the place. Uh, you know that happens. Now, do other owners all love it? Uh, probably not. Who who loves who loves to hear that somebody else is better than them? Uh, on the other hand, you know competitors. You know what they do? They take the challenge. And Joe threw out the gauntlet to the rest of the league to to take them on and you know they obviously have a great basketball team uh, but the rest of us there there are a lot of good organizations out there and certainly you know clippers are one of them steve question for you on the lease at staples center what's good about it because you are literally the third team you're not just a team in staples center you are literally as written into the contract the third team what is the worst part of the lease and what do you say you like about it 
uh, what do I like about it? Uh, at least from my perspective, I bought a team where I didn't have to go build an arena. Most guys, when they buy their teams, have to go build an arena or, you know, sort of secure their arena deal. That was certainly the case, for example, in Milwaukee. There were issues of remodel right away in Atlanta. Um, you know, Memphis had arena issues when uh, Robert Parra came in and bought the place. So we didn't have any arena issues. We didn't have to say immediately, okay, let's come up with hundreds of millions of dollars of capital uh, to, go, to go build an arena. That's by far the best thing. Uh, in our situation. Uh, the worst thing is we, we're the number three guy. We get the worst dates to play on. We have the worst economics in the building. Um, you know, we have the smallest locker room. We pay the increment to tune up the arena for our games. The Lakers and the Kings don't pay that. Yeah, it, it's, it sucks to be the number three guy in a, in a building. Well, I want to talk about Los Angeles for a second as a sports town. The city now has the four major food groups, of course, basketball, two teams, now two NFL teams, the hockey team, and, of course, baseball. Can you describe what it's like in a sports town is in Los Angeles and what it's like for fans there? I mean, there's obviously a lot of choices and a lot of things to do, but there's also a heck of a lot of people. Uh, <laughs> heck of a lot of people you know, who live within 75 miles, if you will. I think we got 17 million people, something like that, who live within 75 miles of our arena. That's really quite something. So uh, there's a lot of options, but there are also a lot of people. Uh, and I think, you know, I think it, it's great for sports. Uh, at the end of the day, of course basketball is the best sport. <laughs> That's my opinion anyway. There's plenty of basketball zealots in the L.A. area. Well, speaking of arenas, Steve, you've been around... Tell me, which is your favorite arena? Which arena, college, pro, whatever, or not even basketball, but where have you felt the best fan experience, and what do you do to mimic that at Staples? I haven't been in every arena. I'm not going to pretend to have been in every NBA arena, let alone all these other ones. I'll tell you what's a heck of a good arena, a heck of a good stadium, uh, is Quest Field here in Seattle for the Seahawks. That thing rocks. It pulses. It gets noisy. It supports the team. Uh, you know, that's what I like. I, I want the arena, if you will, not only to support the amenities and a good fan experience from a comfort perspective. I want the enthusiasts to be able to get out there and actually make a difference to their team. Twelfth man makes a t- difference here uh, in Seattle, uh, and certainly in some of the NBA arenas, the fans can really light it up and make it a little tougher on the opponent. Would you be willing to sacrifice some revenue to have a supporter section, much like they have in soccer, I mean, the real crazies, like a Duke student section on the floor jumping up and down? Uh, not sure. I have never built an arena. So it's, I know it's expensive really real estate. It if we were, we were going to build an arena, believe me, I'd take it through. How is it running the Clippers? Is it different than running Microsoft? And if so, how is it? Well, of course, it's different in a number of ways. Uh, the business challenges, you know, they're different, but they're similar. Uh, in terms of the basketball side, the similarity is a little bit uh, the fact that the talent is the critical factor. Uh, but, of course, basketball is very binary. You win, you lose, the season's over, season's not, the contract's over, the contract's not. Uh, you know, not everybody from Microsoft comes up if you will, to, to stay, and you have to convince them to stay at one time of the year. I mean, we got Chris, we got Blake, we got JJ. You know, we got we got three of the most important guys, well, yeah, three of the most of the four most important, put DJ list on our team. 
uh, that we need to get back. What does the local television ratings tell you about the fan appetite for the Clippers? You know, Clippers and the Lakers are within spitting distance in terms of, of local ratings. And I don't think either one of them are good enough. I think and both of us have an opportunity to improve our ratings. I don't think that's a zero-sum game. Uh, I think we're going to have to work hard to keep making the fan experience better and better because, again, in L.A., there's so many options. It probably hits us even more on TV than it hits us in terms of coming to the arena. Can you guys work together to improve for everybody? I don't, I don't, I mean, I think what's likely to happen is uh, the entire league will work together or the league will lead or one team will lead in developing new technology to change the fan experience at home. And all the teams ought to participate in that, not just any one team or even two teams. All right, Steve, let's have some fun here. Joe Lacob in our interview said that one day, and not in the distant future, by the way, that perhaps Steph Curry's pregame routine will be streamed to customers, and they'll have to pay for it because it's a cool thing they want to see it. So I was telling this to one of my colleagues, Jillian Ward. She runs our tech coverage out of San Francisco. You know what she said? How about a Steve Ballmer cam? I would (laughs) totally pay for that, she said. How about you as entertainment, a camera focused on you? Well, it would certainly change the way I enjoyed the game, and not necessarily for the better. Uh, <laughs> oh, something tells me you would forget it, that it's even on you after 30 seconds. I don't know. You know, I think the key for us is the attention be on our guys, it be on the game. Um, you know, we have a lot of fans going, going pretty crazy for our team. Uh, you know, you could say I'm first fan, if you will, because I'm the owner. But uh, I want to see everybody out there, you know, really busting a gut for our guys. This is really a way to intro tech in buildings. Uh, Everybody is looking towards technology to enhance the fan experience, both at home, in the arena, as well as for owners to monetize. How about that in-arena experience? Do you see VR goggles? Are you one of those? Or do you like the pristine experience of making the experience in the arena so different and compelling that people need to be there? I think you got to be thoughtful about it. I want people in the building. I want them pumping and pumping. I want the people in the building who want the experience of being in the building. Uh, I don't, you know, would it be my preference that everybody have their head down on their phones while the game's going on? No, that's not my preference. Uh, could technology enhance the experience without taking anything away? Yeah, possibly, particularly as we think about VR means you're sort of locked in a blind world of your own. But, you know, some kind of augmented reality where you're really, you got your eyes on the game, but the glasses that you are, are uh, watching the game through are providing you additional information without occluding uh, your view of the game. You want fans in the building, I know that. But there's a word you left out of that sentence. You want, and here's the important word, you want Clippers fans in the building. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir, I do. I know you do. So... Will we go so far as to geolocate ticket buyers to keep that Warriors fan from coming to L.A. for that one game a year? You want local people, Clippers fans, perhaps ticket club members. You want local fans in the building. How do you accomplish that, and is tech the way to do it? I think there's some opportunities that we'll have to think through if we were to do our own arena. If we stay in Staples, we got to do, you know, essentially what we tie into what the building is capable of doing. And we're, you know, we'll talk to our uh, landlords at AEG about that. You know, the issue isn't just people coming down from San Francisco. It's LA is such a, a mixing pot. You've got folks who grew up in New York and Chicago and San Francisco and, you know, 
all of those folks are potentially coming into our building and rooting for, for the other guys. And I don't like it, but, you know, we'll have to really give it some thought about, about that. And, you know, um, it's a free country. Got to give that part some thought, too. I want to ask about going back to Microsoft for a second. You joined that company in 1980, and it's almost like a story of, of hitting the lottery big time. You were only, what, you were the 30th employee there at the time? Yeah, exactly right. Uh, you know, I think it's a combination of a few things. I uh, was absolutely lucky. Anytime you have great success, there's some luck involved. Uh, it was a lot of hard work, uh, you know, for, for Bill Gates, for me, for Paul Allen. So there's a hard work element, and then there's you know uh, some some cleverness and some insight, and no one of those three is enough. Uh, but we we were fortunate uh, to have a little bit of all three of those, and basically Paul Allen had a very compelling you know sort of vision uh, that kicked kicked us off, and he and Bill had worked together for a long time, and Bill shared that vision, and they got things rolling, and I kind of came in, if you will, as the the little business engine uh, that could and you know, made a very good team at the top. We are chatting with Steve Ballmer, owner of the Los Angeles Clippers. And Steve, back to tech, scalable media. You have talked about starting an OTT. That is the buzzword these days. It's all about over-the-top, direct-to-consumer. We see monumental sports in Washington. Ted Leonsis is sort of toying with this already. What does that enable you to do? And it, does it give you way more leverage against the local, sort of the traditional broadcast? Say, I don't need you anymore? No, I don't think it's I don't need you anymore. What it lets you do is an enhanced experience. If some fans are, are going to be happy with the, with the experience, you could say is sort of free in the sense. If you're going to have a TV package, you're going to get re, you know, regional sports, including the Clippers, in there. And you probably don't think of it as an incremental cost item. But for people who you know, are a little more enthusiastic, uh, we want to po- provide a product that you know lets you see the game through the lens of the coach, through fantasy, through any seat you want to sit in in the arena. We eventually want you to be able to see the the game as if you were seeing it from the vantage point of Blake Griffin or Chris Paul. You know that's kind of the direction we want to go. Would you or DeAndre Jordan, where you're just living above the rim? Yeah, just put a camera up top of the backboard. <laughs> that's that area. Would you be so inclined as to really push for content, tell your players, tell your owners, hey, being part of the Clippers comes with added responsibility, such as there might be a cameraman with you on the drive home from a game, and we're looking to you to provide content for what we're trying to do. We're not going to make our players' lives any more complicated than they are. Those guys, you know, they work their butts off. They have a number of obligations we give them already. We, We can actually use what we get in smarter ways by having software that, that essentially takes the material, the statistics, the, the video footage that's captured today, and lets fans you know, sort of experience in new ways and play with it in new ways. What about ticketing? Because that's going to be a big movement in tech also. Yeah, I think there's a lot of opportunities uh, to do two things. To price our tickets better in the sense that uh, I think there's a chance for the fans to get sort of better price value on the things they want. You know, if you really want a ticket, you should really be able to pay for it. Uh, and there'll be some games where people just don't want to pay that much. That should, that should work for folks. Uh, and at the same time, uh, also do a better job in terms of uh, profit realization for the team. Did you know, by the way, and this is from years of reporting, did you know that J.J. isn't really a J.J.? I 
think I read that in his Wikipedia page. Oh, somebody stole it from me. He told me that first, that he had his little sister when he was younger. He had twin sisters. And one would say J, and the other would say J, so it just became JJ, even though that's not really the initials for his name. No, I didn't know that. See, let's promote this stuff on your OTT network. Now, Steve, <laughs> I know you are big on game ops. You, you know about what to do during timeouts. You know how many T-shirts are fired out of the cannon. You want people up and up and up. What would you change about the final three, four minutes of a basketball game? I hear the same thing. It takes forever to play the final minutes. Would you change anything? Well, I think the drama of the final minutes actually for folks in the arena is pretty exciting. I think it's. I think the. I think it's tough because you really like the timeout to be a little shorter, both in the arena and for the fans at home, but still have the drama. Uh, unfortunately, you know, from a TV perspective, you also want those timeouts to to work for you because that's when people are most focused in on the game. Um, I wouldn't expect, particularly on a national basis, I wouldn't expect to see anything change. Uh, over the life of the current TV contracts, but who knows what ESPN and TNT have up their sleeves. Well, since you brought up ESPN, I have to ask, you know, the, the, the woes are there. They might be getting some ROI on the NBA contract. They're reaching an advertising demo that they like. That's fine. But overall, that's a tough place right now. Uh, do you worry that the biggest source of revenue might be drying up? Or do we look at some other sources that perhaps are immature Amazon, Facebook, Google. This is the future of broadcasting or narrowcasting it is these days. Well, no, I don't I don't really worry. I think ESPN uh you know their 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 economics are under some pressure, but that's going to be a great business for for a long period of time. Uh whether it stays as great as it's ever been, I don't know. I'm not not an expert in that. And the truth of the matter is uh, the NBA is non-substitutable content. We're going to get paid because we have fans who love our game and who will want to watch. And as the channels of distribution may evolve, uh, the NBA will be strong throughout that transition. When there are prospective buyers for teams, Steve, I know the league, if all money is equal, they like to bring in a partner that can bring added value. And of course, you and your tech background, that's added value. How often, if ever, or even just sitting around the Board of Governor meetings, how often does Adam or some other league official or another owner say, hey, this is your area of expertise, Steve. What do you think we should do? How can we approach it differently? No, that's, uh, that's done on a, on, a, on a regular basis. You know, if it's time to talk about what can be done with, with broadcast, there is experience with the Wizards, as you talked about, with Monumental. Those guys would be called on to, you know, to, to maybe even present, if you will. Uh, when it comes time to think about countries outside the U.S. Everyone points at you. You know you're the one to blame for dashing all the dreams of these would-be owners, thinking their valuations are skyrocketing through the roof. You're the guy. You know that, right? No, I'm the guy who, <laughs> I'm the guy who, uh, who helped those valuations go up. Nobody seems to mind that at all. No, it's, the, it's, prospective it's, owners, the prospective owners may have a problem, not the current owners. <laughs> yeah, when they have to fork over the check. <laughs> it could be. Thanks, Steve. We appreciate you joining us.
All right, my pleasure. Thanks, guys. That was Steve Ballmer, Los Angeles Clippers owner and former CEO of Microsoft. You've been listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio around the world. We hear each and every week at the same time exploring the world of money and sports. I'm Michael Barr. And I'm Scott Soschnick. Thanks for joining us, and please tune in next week when we keep it in the NBA with Avenue Capital's Mark Lazary, co-owner of the Milwaukee Bucks. 